0: Holy shit, fanboys and fangirls! Welcome to Fanboy with an Opinion for July 2020. I am Eric, also known as biggie also known as Captain Cannon, but most importantly, I'm the fanboy. So I don't know if I really express this too much, but I'd like to do Fanboy with an Opinion once a month. Last month is the exception. I did two episodes because I just had a lot to talk about. But this month is going to be one episode, and I tend to uh, release these episodes towards the end of the month. And I don't know if I've ever really said that. So on today's episode, I'm gonna do a lot of just explaining of things that I've watched. What's up, fanboys and fangirls? Just wanted to let you know. Originally, I had recorded a pretty long episode and I talked about a lot of things. Uh, Mainly I talked about comics that I had bought and I wanted this episode to be very comic book centric. But after further reviewing, I realized that there was a lot of technical difficulties in the episode, which you probably already noticed. So a good chunk of the episode has been deleted and cut. And I plan on talking about that stuff in next month's episode. So just a heads up, this is a short, Episode this month because of all the difficulties. Thanks. So before we do that, let's get the uh the plugs away. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're listening to Anchor, don't forget to uh join our Facebook. The links will be below in the comment section in the YouTube. But if you're looking on Facebook, it's just Gamerish Network on Facebook gamers537 uh, at gmail.com if you want to ask, ask us anything gamers1 on Twitter uh, uh, I usually talk about this on the pod but it's been out it's been being talked about recently that uh, I wrote, read a book, wrote a book and that's on Amazon if you just look up Eric U R I T Champ, it's called Champ Misanthrope of the Year and uh, so yeah I think that's about it so let's get into it so Just briefly talk about some movies and TV shows I've been watching. Uh, There's this uh, documentary that came out a bunch of years ago uh, called The Bridge. And it's about the Golden State Bridge in San Francisco. The reason why they're talking about the Golden Gate Bridge in this documentary is that the Golden Gate Bridge is a very popular place for people to commit suicide. And it's actually the most uh, popular place in the United States. At one point, it was the most popular place in the uh, the world, but that's been surpassed by a bridge in Japan. So the documentary came out in 2006 and it basically talks about why it's a Why it's popular. And also, jumping off this bridge is one of the most dangerous things you can do because I think people feel there's like a almost like a romantic, you know, they romanticize jumping off a bridge. And the problem with doing that is uh, when you hit the water, it's almost like you're hitting cement. And because San Francisco has a lot of fog, even people who survive the fall are never seen again for the most part because there's the current, uh, there's the fog. Uh, No one, like most of the time, no one's even can hear people if they're calling for help or crying for help. And the documentary talks about one particular jumper who survived. And he said the moment He jumped off the bridge. He immediately regretted it. It's a horrible drop. It's a horrible fall. Uh, I mean, most most people who jump from the bridge, not only do they die, but their bodies are almost never found again. So reading up about this documentary and before watching it, uh, by the way, it's on YouTube. So if you just type in the bridge documentary, you'll find it. Uh, I did read that a lot of people weren't happy about it, especially the families of the victims, only because they felt that the, the movie was exploiting their, the deaths. And so I didn't really understand what that meant specifically, because, I mean, obviously this is a documentary about suicide, so and you're profiting off of this. So that's where the exploitation would begin. But what I didn't realize until I watched the movie, So, the director of the movie set up a camera in San Francisco to, you know, so he would shoot the Golden Gate Bridge. And he just had the camera there for hours during the day, like pretty much all day. And it would just continuously film until someone decided to jump off the bridge, which him going into the documentary he knew that it was such a popular place so he he knew like that just the statistics of of seeing somebody jump off the bridge in real time while he was filming was just it was obvious that was obviously going to happen so there's been approximately 1200 deaths from uh, from the time it opened in 1937 to 2003 and obviously it's not a not a current number, but still. Um, it's a four four-story fall, 200 uh 245 feet, and 70. You go 75 miles an hour, you hit the waters like it's concrete. And so the movie is just they talk, they do talk to the uh, families of the victims, but you see the people that they're talking about jump off the bridge. So it's very much like watching a snuff movie or snuffing. You again, everything's in real time, and you're watching the people look over the side and look around to see if anyone's watching, because obviously this is an illegal act. And they climb over, and they might hesitate or they might just stand there, and then eventually they'll they'll drop themselves off. And the worst part about it is, it's not like the director just kept the camera stationary and just went off and ate a slice of pizza or something. Yeah, I'm so New York—that's the first thing I think of. But um, no, when the person does decide to jump off the bridge, he zooms in, he zooms in, and he follows them. He tracks them falling down, and then he'll try to focus in on the spot that they fell. I mean, that just feels very, I mean, more than just exploitive. Again, it's like you're filming a snuff movie. And it felt really dirty watching it. I mean, lack of a better word, it just it, it felt wrong. And it was interesting to see the facts about The Bridge, because I really don't think most people, common people, average person knows that that it is uh, one of the most popular places in the world to commit suicide. And also what you're doing to yourself to actually to do that. It's not easy and it doesn't just end with you jumping. And like I said, they do talk to somebody who was not filmed. I don't know if he was filmed in jumping. I don't think he was. But he does tell his story about jumping and then regretting it. And so he's kind of, use that opportunity to talk to people and young people about not, you know, the, the not committing suicide or, or especially jumping off that bridge. Anyway, but at the same time, it, it made you feel like, why watch because this is real. And then you know, he shows them die. And then, yeah, obviously, you know, the problem is, is you know, the. You don't obviously see the moment that they die. You see them jump off and you see them fall. Uh, Everything at the impact and everything else after that, you don't see. But it's still kind of creepy. And then they talk to the victim's family members, surviving family members. And you get a story about their life. That's the other thing is some of them drown. Some of them get dragged off. And sometimes people just die of hypothermia because the water's so cold. So I just feel like all these factors put in, it's not just jumping that kills you or can't kill you. Anyway, it was was a mixture of creepy and fascinating. And the whole time I'm watching this, I'm just like, this is wrong. (laughs) And then I finally understood why this movie was being called so exploitive. Another movie I watched was Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood which is uh, sort of a movie about Fred Rogers, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I think they uh, starred uh, Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers and got nominated for a bunch of awards for it. I think a lot of people were misled with this movie because um, it's not really about Mr. Rogers. And there had just been a documentary that came out a year or two before the movie called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And that was really... More about Mr. Rogers' life and his show and all that John. But this was really about a writer, a, a magazine writer, who's supposed to interview uh, Rogers. And this guy's got, like, pretty, he's got a fucked up view on life. Mr. Rogers was such a genuinely nice person that the writer doesn't want to believe it. Anyway, it was a touching movie and a lot of it has to do with death and forgiveness. And I have a little issue with that because sometimes the idea of forgiving somebody just because they're dying is sometimes a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. So there's some themes in the movie that I don't necessarily agree with, but Tom Hanks is very good in it, even though he doesn't look anything like Fred Rogers. He does sound like him, and he does act like him. And, you know, I won't, I'm not afraid to admit that I kind of got teary-eyed in this movie because it is kind of sappy. I also re Spider-Man Far From Home, which I had watched originally in the theater, but I only watched it that one time, so this is like the second time I've seen it. I actually did an episode of Fanboy with an Opinion on Far From Home, when it first came out, so it was like a year ago. Uh, but I like rewatching it. I really do like this movie. I may even like it more than the first one. I really loved what they did with Mysterio. Because it's this whole mystery of whether or not he's a villain. And obviously, because of the comic books and stuff, I, anyone who's ever read the books knew that he was going to be a villain. But the way that they did it was very ingenious. And that's what I like about MCU, is even when they make changes, nine times out of ten, their changes are well done and probably even better than the source material. And that's definitely with uh, Mysterio. And that reveal, when you find out that not only is he a villain, but it's like a group, a team of people, that was great. That's a great reveal. I was shocked. Because, again, you go in knowing he's going to be the bad guy. But you don't know circumstances. That was a lot of fun. That was a, um, and the, the ending, that twist at the end is uh, devastating. Even though I don't really believe it in real life because, uh, you know, because Peter Parker is a minor, I don't think they'd be able – legally, I don't think they can say his name. In the press, unless he jets, uh, they get, you know, uh, the okay from his guardian, but whatever, it's a movie. It was still fun. I still do enjoy that movie. This was a lot of uh, great Easter eggs, Easter eggs, and references. So, uh, watching a lot of Netflix, we're watching uh, The Floor is Lava on Netflix, which is such a ridiculous. Show. It um, it's basically a game show. It's very similar, in my my opinion, is very similar to American Ninja Warrior, in the fact that it's physical, and you basically have to get from point A to point B uh, by jumping, climbing, swinging, that sort of thing. It's just a room, supposed to be done like a room in a house, but the floor is lava. It's this watery. Bubbly kind of shoots out a lot, and you're supposed to just pretend that it's lava and so if anyone falls into the lava, they just automatically are out so they, from what I read, they weren't told to act, so there's like three people on the team, and when I read it they weren 't act they weren't told to act as if they were dying. you know, pretend that your teammate is dying, but most of the time if a team member falls in, in the lava, the other team members are dying. Um, so because it's a lot, you know, like I said, similar to Amer- uh, American Ninja Warrior or that show Wipeout, people do get hurt. So that's kind of the fun aspect of it is to see people fall and get hurt. Um, a lot of the time they take forever to get from point A to point B and, yeah, so obviously you have to be somewhat athletic. Uh, but at the same time, that does also doesn't help you. It's like more popular. I mean, the thing with Netflix is, you know, to say that a certain TV show is the most popular watch thing on Netflix, that changes like week to week and probably even less than that. So, yeah, The Floor is Lava was number one at one point, but then come like six days later it's like rerun rerun episodes of the office or some shit so it's not really saying them but but yeah it was a popular show when it premiered uh the other netflix show oh i watched this uh comedy special from eric andre called legalize everything legalize everything And Eric Andre is a comedian. He has a show on Adult Swim called The Eric Andre Show, which is kind of like a a mock talk show. So he invites celebrity guests on. So almost always celebrity guests. And usually things will happen will will freak them out. He does a lot of things to the celebrity guests to make them uncomfortable. Like for instance, he has like a heat source under their seat to make it really hot. Or he'll um uh... the one of the more famous ones was he had Lauren Con. Yeah, I don't know who that is either. And he had pretended to puke onto his desk. And then he went over and sipped it back up. So it freaked her out to the point where she got up and left the, the set. And uh, he also does a lot of uh, bits with people, like man on the street kind of bits, where he does ridiculous things, uh, like he pretend to be a cop with his pants down, his hands uh, handcuffed to a pole, trying to get people to help him. Yeah, shit like that. But anyway, the comedy special is just that it's like a stand-up comedy special, but he's ridiculous. He, uh, he did a bit where he talked about Cops, the show Cops, and how you have this cut-up show of just police brutality, and then you wrap it around um, a reggae song, which usually reggae is a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more positive, and then it's just cut-ups of police brutality with, you know a fun jamaica song or a fun reggae song and he made that bit like way before they actually canceled the show so that was kind of funny anyway that was a funny show that show and Eric andre in general is not really for everybody because he really is off the wall i mean he tends to get naked on his, in his live shows like naked um and you know, this was no exception. So, like I said, not for everybody, but was for me and my wife, hilarious. Also watch Unsolved Mysteries. That was also a very popular show on Netflix. I briefly watched a show it was for the late 80s or the 90s, it was by Robert Stack, but uh, I was a lot younger. The show freaked me out a lot as a kid. Um, yeah, I think there's another misconception, misconception with the show that it was just all UFOs. But the original Unsolved Mysteries dealt with a lot of stuff, like w- more like missing people, locked this monster, uh, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs, that sort of thing, but mostly dealt with people disappearing and, and murder. And so that's what this did. This did this focus more on this, you know, missing people. They did one episode of UFOs, which I did not watch. And but everything else was very interesting. No host, which was, um, you know, again, interesting take or interesting decision. But I really did enjoy it. My wife and I both enjoyed it. Uh, very fucked up, sad stories. And I did hear somebody make a comment that these weren't necessarily mysteries because in a lot of the cases, we kind of know who the murderer is. But like there's one uh, episode in particular, where it starts off with a younger woman, a young mother has gone missing. And they think her mother might be involved. And then it backtracks and shows that the mother pretty much killed one of her uh, husbands. One of her husbands. And that this particular daughter knew and had evidence and knew she was a witness to it. And now she mysteriously disappeared. So the whole episode, you know the mother did it. Don't have enough evidence to charge her and they don't know what the daughter is. So there, there, therein lies the mystery. Or there's one story where a family in uh, France was totally annihilated, and the husband slash father is the only surviving member. And they know he did it. They know that he was involved. He's not a suspect, but he's seen as a, somebody of, uh, of interest. And he escaped. He he set it up where it looked like he was going to commit suicide, but they never found his body. So they're a little, you know, they don't really think he killed himself. And they know that he was there when the murders happened. But his capacity, his involvement is a little bit more up in the air. So again, like, we may know who committed these murders, but we don't know why, or we don't know where they went. And then, of course, I've been watching Doom Patrol, which, uh, as of the taping of this episode, I've only watched five of them. And there's going to be... Well, I'm going to watch the sixth one, but, and there's going to be a new episode after uh this this episode of Fanboy with Opinions is uh released. I really love the show. This is probably one of my favorite comic book shows ever. Um they took an eccentric odd story and they made it eccentric and odd and funny. Uh I mean, I, I guess in the uh, previous episode of Fanboy of the Penny, but the Doom Patrol was basically a ripoff of the X-Men, sort of. I mean, they both came out around the same time. But they were like the DC's version of the X-Men. They are a bunch of freaks, weirdos, you know. Um, you know, Superman is kind of seen, idolized, because he looks normal. Yes, he's an alien, but people get over that because he looks like, he looks like a, a slice of American pie. But the characters are freakish looking. we have always been freakish looking. You know, negative man wears bandages. Uh, robot man is a fucking robot. But um, once they got past the X-Men ripoff, like in the 80s, 90s, they became more, like I said, odd weird eccentric and this show really emulates that you know it was a dysfunctional family in the first season and they're still a dysfunctional family in the second season if i had a complaint about the second season it would be that um the end of the first season kind of made you feel like the characters have grown but most of them in the second season kind of reverted back not all of them, like Elastica, um, Rita does kind of want to hone her powers. She wants to almost be a. But certain things in her past are stopping her from doing that. Larry is still boohooing about his family, Cliff is still boohooing about his family. Jane is with all her personalities. It's kind of more of the same. But there, of course, is a lot of added, like uh, Dorothy, who is uh, what's his name's uh, daughter? James Bond. Which is an interesting addition to the show. Um, Chief, the Chief's daughter where she can make these monsters that can pretty much destroy the world. So what do you do with that? And it's sad because Dorothy is a little girl, but she's also been, she hasn't really aged. She's been living for a long time, but she has like the mind of a a little girl. She's really, it's not her fault, but you know, (coughs) like everything that she fucks it up, And then she's just going to be bad. But, I mean, what do you do? Do you blame her? She isn't being handled properly. She isn't being raised properly. Anyway, oh, there's Cyborg too. See, Cyborg is changing. I did not like Cyborg in season one. I thought he was too much of, like, a go-getter or somebody like oh really wants to be a superhero kind of a tits ass in a way or just goody two shoes you know i didn't care for it but now he's kind of changing and it's almost like he sees the world differently he's fallen in love and she definitely has a different they're similar because they're both broken but at the same time she just went came from a different path than he did what else um it's still the show's still cuckoo banana, and it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Got my boy Flex Mentalo in there. He's great. Uh, I really love the casting, and just the way shoot the characters is awesome. So what I've been playing is I've been playing Skyrim uh, because on a previous show that I'm on called The Nick and the Hick with Michael. We, well, you, the people of the Facebook group, have decided that the best game in 2011 was Skyrim, and that's what we've been playing. Now, I have chosen to play the game with no mods on PS4, and strictly just doing main, the main uh, mission, or the main storyline. That has become somewhat difficult to do no mods. So a brief history, I played the game when it first came out in 2011. Skyrim is one of my favorite games of all time, if not my the favorite game. Pretty, uh, pretty close up there. I then rebought it when it came out on the PS4 to use mods. So I had been playing it with mods ever since. So this is the first time I played Skyrim without any cheats or mods since 2011. So it's, jeez, uh, keep doing that. It's, um, reality check a lot of fun though but make sure to listen to nick and the hick because we'll be talking about that more of course the other thing i played was uh the last of us two and there's a lot of talk about that on all these other different pods that we do there's a gamerish pod that we talked about it there's uh we did a spoiler cast on on it so i really think i've Talk, said everything I've wanted to say. I it was beautiful. Sounded beautiful. Definitely going to play it again. Because there's for me, an advantage to play it again. Because you get to use all the stuff that you've collected and maybe explore some of the things you need not get to explore. But I do have pro- I mean, those are the pro- pros for me. Uh, I thought the gameplay was pretty good. A lot of people... Uh, back and forth with the shooting. I thought the shooting was fine. Uh, I did like sneaking around. I did like just going all out. But my issues with the game was there are parts that feel a little bit open world, but I feel like the game, on the one hand, tells you to do it. Uh, you know, on the one hand, tells you to explore, and then on the other hand, tells you not to explore. So it gives you this mixed, these mixed feelings these mixed signals. Of, like, go explore, but maybe you shouldn't explore There's also Abby. I can't stand Abby. I hate Abby. No one will ever change my mind about Abby, which is fine because I'm sure I can never change certain people's minds, and Abby's not a a good person or a good part of the game. I think the writing of this game is spotty. I mean, it invoked emotions, which is great. It invoked conversations, which was great. But it ruined Abby's storyline. They could have done it a lot better. They instead of just introducing her right away and then making her a horrible, horrible person, they could have eased into it and led us and led us into her storyline for a while before telling us she's the worst fucking piece of shit in the world. Then maybe I would have some compassion for her. Joel just walking into his death. Maybe. A lot of the themes of the game I thought were great. This game is really about the sins of the past. Uh, this, you start to realize that Abby and Ellie are like opposite sides, they're similar but different at the same time. They're on the same coin but on different sides of a coin. Uh, I love the commentary on uh, religion because Abby is a part of a group and she is against another group and that she considers them a cult. Meanwhile, the group she's in is kind of a cult. And also the scars ideology is almost like a um, metaphor for religion. It starts off great. The message is there, but it's just other people kind of muddle it up and make it worse um i don't know what else i i pretty much said everything i feel like abby created the monster but when you create the monster you're worse than the monster um i think ellie is just a better character but she was a better character that's another thing i have a problem with the game is they kind of just Devoided her of all personality that she had. But there's a reason for it. We don't, I just feel like I've always said so many times the story is just very fragmented. We don't get a clear cut picture. We get it in pieces. And then we have to put it together ourselves. And I hate that about storytelling. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I hate it so much is because it's used so often. Right, enough about that shit. I've talked too much about fucking uh, The Last of Us. Uh, I did there was one other thing I've I been watching that I didn't know if I should put it in the watching part or the reading part. I going to in the comic book stuff. So Stargirl. So I've been watching Stargirl and I definitely think that Stargirl is up there with uh, one of the better comic book adaptations. Uh, so You heard the news that it used to be on the DC app, but now it's going to completely be on CW next year. So I think the quality is going to change eventually. Because I think one of the reasons why a lot of people like the Stargirl show is because it's not like the other CW shows. It doesn't follow the same beats. It doesn't follow the same story threads. You know, the CW DC shows, somebody always have to surround themselves around the team, you know, like I'm good at one thing, but that guy's good at something else. And that girl's good at something else. Well, it's see similar format. And, you know, one person says something to the team that really upsets the team and then someone's got to go over to that person and say, you really hurt the team's feelings. Oh, I really did. And at the end of the episode, it's like, all right, guys, I'm so sorry. Like, it's just, sappy shit and star girl doesn't really do that but on the flip side courtney the main character annoys the shit out of me because she just doesn't listen but it feels like her character grows because when she doesn't listen and she makes a mistake and she pays for it she then realizes i can't do this anymore and then she tries not to do that anymore Whereas the CW shows, no one ever seems to learn their lesson. No one grows. No one becomes a better person. Like, Barry in The Flash is still a fucking moron. And he still leads to his emotions. And for someone who's supposed to be so smart, he just runs into situations, literally runs into situations without even thinking. But in sense that people are growing and changing. Also, a lot of Easter eggs, a lot of mentions of other characters. Uh, some of these characters have never been in live-action shows or even cartoons. Most of them, I think. Uh, what else? I do really enjoy the show. Fight scenes are great. Most of the fight scenes are great. There was one fight scene in, in one of the episodes just too dark. It really couldn't see what was going on. Uh, one of the episodes was directed by Leah Thompson, who's uh, more famous as being Lorraine from Back to Future movies, which I thought was interesting. But watching this show, there's a lot of history. So the show's about legacy, right? You have Girl who's taking up the mantle from Star Spangled Kid, or you have uh, Our Man taking up the the mantle from his father, Our Man. That is very important because that's littered in the books. That's peppered in, it's like a big part of Stargirl in general. That she is supposed to be this bridge between the old guard and the new guard. So, watching this show reminds me of certain comics. It must be two comics, actually. And one of them is called The Goldman. Golden Age came out in 1993 and 94. It's four issues. It was written by uh, James Robinson, who actually is a producer on Stargirl. And And it was uh, drawn by Paul Smith. Now, I used to own the Golden Age. I was going to pull it out of my collection and show it off. But it was, uh, I had a flood a bunch of years ago, and a lot of my comics got destroyed in the flood, and that was one of them. So, it was like sections of my collection got ruined. So one of them was G. So, it got destroyed. But I'll probably put some quick pictures of the book. So, The Golden Age is an Elseworlds book. That's kind of jargon, which means it's not in uh, continuity. And it's basically a love letter to the Golden Age of comics. So... For those who are not familiar with comic books, each section of time in comic books is called a certain age. So the beginning of comics, superhero comics, that is, it's called the Golden Age. The 50s and the 60s were considered the Silver Age. Then there's a Bronze Age, which I think is more like the 90s. So a lot of characters that are mentioned in Stargirl were all characters from the 40s, the golden age of comics. So that's what this book is, Ping to, that golden age. So it takes place in the 30s and 40s. It takes place in the 40s, it's supposed to be post-World War II. And it's just supposed to be about how the world has changed and uh, the world, America, doesn't really embrace superheroes anymore. So a lot of them were outlawed and then it's a, uh, about it, it's the point of view of a lot of different characters about how they're dealing with that. Uh, but then a golden age superhero who fought in the war comes back to America and he tries to have a political career and then he starts to implement that uh, the government should have superheroes that are working for the government. So there's that whole clash of, like, do we do it for ourselves? Do we do it for the people? Or do we do we become, you know, pawns for the government? But what makes me think of Stargirl, or what makes me think of Golden Con- Age when I'm watching Stargirl, is a lot of the characters in, in Stargirl are in this book. The originals, the original Wildcat. The original Flash, the original Hour Man. Our Man has this whole thing where, in the book, where, you know, he takes his pill and gives him... So that's the difference between the comic and show. In the show. In the show, he just touches the hourglass, but actually a pill gives him the, uh, his powers. So in the Golden Age comic, he gets addicted to said pill. And it starts giving him... Uh, hallucination so it almost becomes a hallucinogen drug Um, and then there's a little twist that I really don't want to mention in the book and it's a great book it's just really a great love letter to the golden age of comics and what it actually is is a bridge just like Stargirl from the golden age to the silver age so the end is that there's this big threat that threatens the United States. And all the heroes come out of retirement to stop, try to stop this threat. And they really are having a tough time. And so someone steps out of the shadows to help, and he's a brand new hero. And so with his help to defeating this threat, he starts to become more of a name. And he helps usher in the Silver Age. And that's basically how the book ends. It's just like, now it's time for a new group of heroes, which is very similar to Stargirl. And that will do it for this episode of Fanboy The Opinion for July 2020. As I previously mentioned, most of this episode was unairable due to technical difficulties. So this is a shorter episode this month and I am re-recording this ending. So I appreciate you watching and listening. Uh, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe if you are watching on YouTube. Support our Facebook group, our Demon Network Facebook group. And um, once again, thanks. Appreciate it. And I have been a fanboy, and this has been my opinion.